We've been doing tough issues now for two weeks. The first week we did the tough issue of uh, the Christian and politics and how those two intersect in our Christian lives and what the Bible has to say about that. And we created a big sandstorm. Since I'm from West Texas, I call it a sandstorm. Some of you vulgar people call it something else, but I call it a sandstorm. And we got through that. And uh, uh, now we need to pick all the sand boogers out of our ears and go on. Um, the second week, last week, uh, we talked about depression. And that's something I know a great deal about, as I'm a practitioner of that. And uh, hope that hopefully that was encouraging. Got a lot of messages this week from people uh, that it was encouraging for them. Uh, some of you who are, do not deal with that, but you are married to someone or you live with someone who does. Uh, I got a lot of word from folks this week that, that we appreciate that, dealing with that. It helps them to understand how to, uh, how to love and care for uh, a spouse or a child or, or someone close to them who struggles with that. And uh, so that's a very important subject. This morning, we're going to do that one that we all love to do. We cannot wait to do it, and that is about giving. Uh, this is a tough subject that we really don't like to talk about. I historically have not been one that spent much time from the pulpit actually talking about this. We've done stewardship education in Bible study and those other areas, but it is a difficult subject, and it's very germane to us as a church right now. So we're going to dive into that thing this morning and uh, see where this thing takes us. I've kind of turned it over to uh, Derek primarily, and as I said in the first service, and I'll just pipe in at inappropriate times. To, uh, to, to help him along or to try to get him back in line. Or... Just let me finish a thought before you do that. How about oh, no, that? No, just, no, 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 that's say, no fun. Okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're... Well, let me finish my thought. You, you, go ahead. Yeah, okay. I'm yielding the floor. <laughs> uh, Derek, take us. Oh, okay, okay, very good. So I, I do want to begin with some statistics about giving because I think that this is, as James said, it's one of those things where pastors feel pressured to either it's all we talk about, and then it becomes just this sort of weekly beatdown, or we don't talk about it at all, and then there's a lack of education regarding what the Scriptures teach and God's expectation for His people to participate in giving. And so I thought it would be helpful to give you some statistics just so you understand where the church in America is with regard to this subject. This is, um, these are numbers actually that are just a little bit prior to COVID. So it's gotten worse. So just, if you feel like these are bad... <laughs> Just wait. It can get worse. It gets worse. <laughs> 247 million United States citizens identify as Christians. And of that 247 million, only 1.5 million actually give. That is to a church. Yes. Obviously, they give in other areas, some of them. But this is church statistics to yes. support the ministry of the local church. Uh, only about 5% of churchgoers give to their home church. 5%. So, I mean, think about the, the numbers there. Think about what that indicates. It is a very, very low number. Now, with the topic of giving, um, there is by an extension another topic that we also have to address. As you know, last week we talked about depression, and by extension, we dealt with the topic of suicide because often those two things walk hand in hand. With giving, an extension of giving is the topic of stewardship. And this third statistic, I think, speaks a great deal to this connection. Givers are 40% less likely to owe significant debt. People who give in the church, they are 40% less likely to owe significant debt. Now, think about this practically. If you have a large amount of debt, 
You look at that amount and that debt collector, that bank is pressuring you every month to make that payment. The practical American mindset is, I got to get this thing paid off or they're going to come after me. And so for a time, I'm going to not give to the church. I'm going to just focus on this. And then once this is done, then I'll start giving to now, the local ministry. There's another way of looking at that statistic as well. Is it those who have disciplined their life, according to their conviction of Scripture, that their whole stewardship of their life is a part of that, is giving to their local church for ministry, then they have perhaps a better grasp and understanding of biblical stewardship in other areas of their life, which leads them to be less likely to burden their life with significant debt. Yes. Uh, and so it kind of can come at it from both perspectives in both directions, but that's a pretty staggering statistic. It is. That, that the practice of being a good steward in giving to their local ministry has other impacts in their life That's exactly as it relates right. to their total stewardship of life. That's an interesting statistic. So what we're going to do this morning is I'm, I'm going to give you some, some brief biblical background to what God's Word dictates to us uh, as it pertains to giving, and then we're going to spend the second half of our time here uh, really getting down to the nuts and bolts of what we have done, because if we call you to steward your life in such a way that allows you to give, we have to, as pastors, be willing to steward the money that is given effectively as well. And so we want to talk about that in the second part of this, but let me give you just a biblical basis here uh, of, of what God expects. The first giving that we see happen uh, happens very early in Scripture. Genesis chapter 4, uh, the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, and, and when we think about Cain and Abel, you typically immediately emphasize the idea that Cain murdered Abel, right? That's kind of the big takeaway from Genesis 4 as it is traditionally taught. But what causes Cain to murder his brother but jealousy that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, what he gave to God, but rejected what Cain himself gave to God. And, and James made the point this morning in first service, I think that is crucial for you to get, that we're not given, we're not given any details about what God prescribed for them to give. We're, we're not told any background. But clearly, from the text, God accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was in line with what God had dictated to them to give. Cain gave a grain offering. Abel gave an animal sacrifice. And what this ultimately boils down to is one of them was operating out of obedience, and one of them was operating out of, I'm going to just give to God what I think is okay to give to Him. So the, the, the principle really beyond the, obviously the murder and all of that kind of stuff is what led Cain to murder his brother was this jealousy and all that kind of stuff, is that Abel gave according to how God had instructed, Cain gave the way he wanted to give. Yeah. And that, that's the big takeaway from, from, from that. And God rejected what Cain gave because Cain decided, he, I'll, give, I'll do this, but Abel gave in faith, gave, Abel gave according to God's instruction, whatever those instructions were. They're not recorded in Scripture, but obviously they both knew what God's purpose was in this. And so that, the principle there is giving according to how God has said, not how I decide that I want to do. That's exactly right. So then we get to Genesis 14, and this is the first time we get that daunting T word, the tithe. <laughs> the tithe. We see um, Abram get back from battle, and he gives a tenth of his uh, material possessions to probably the most mysterious figure in all of the Bible, 
uh, a very mysterious figure. He's a priest and a king known as Melchizedek. And he had a funky name on top of it all. The so Melchizedekian, yes. He priesthood. Is, he is a, uh, we're going to talk about that in our cults class. Um, oh, great. But the, the, That's on Wednesday night if you want to come to the Not this the Wednesday, next Wednesday, oh, next 28th. Week. Okay. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll be discussing that. Melchizedek is a, a very mysterious figure. We don't know much about him, but apparently he was important. He's the king of... of uh, um, Salem, which scholars equate that to what eventually became Jerusalem, and uh, Abram gives him a tenth. He gives him a tenth of his possessions in honor of this priest and king. Now, the, the word tithe simply means it's the custom of giving a tenth of the products, land, or spoils to God. Okay, it is eventually ratified in the Mosaic Law. Uh, Moses uh, includes that in the practice of the people of God and the Israelites. In fact, Numbers 18, uh, 21 through 32, we're told that the tithe was to be given to the priests, who were a group of men known as the Levites, um, the Levitical priests. It's where we get the the book of Leviticus, the, and it was all to go into the work of the temple, of yes. the tabernacle to support the work of the temple and the priests and all the things that went into that. So that's where that picture begins. Exactly. The, the Levites did nothing but give themselves to the work in the tabernacle. So they had no other job. They had no other time for another job. And so practically, I mean, reasonably, in order for them to live, in order for them to sustain themselves, they had to receive a portion of the tithes for themselves. This is where the modern-day idea of giving money to a church that is run by full-time ministers comes from. If you're working full-time to do the work of the ministry, then you have no other time to work a separate job. Uh, and, and so the, the pastors have to be supported. It goes all the way back to numbers. And Besides go that, we need a new jet. And we need a new jet. Yeah, we, so, we do need a new jet. Our, our old one's got a couple hours on it, and so we need a new jet. We can't, we can't fly commercially, you know, with other unclean people. A inappropriate, uh, little inappropriate levity there. We're, we're kidding. We, we're very kidding. We, we, we fly Some coach go when say, we go. Did you know that pastor? Yeah. City on the Hill's got a jet. Yeah, exactly. We don't have a jet. We don't have a jet. My jet's got two wheels. Yes. It's called a crotch rocket. <laughs> Gosh. And he drives it with one eye. Harley Davidson. All the way to the ranch, regularly. <laughs> Till last week, I saw that my back tire, I could see air in it, so I've been grounded <laughs> until I get another back tire. There you go. My Harley. Last thing I want to say about this, because I think that when we talk about the tithe in the Old Testament, typically it is viewed as it's a part of God's law, which interestingly, it's, it's, it's not the Mosaic law. It precedes the Mosaic law considerably. It's only ratified in the Mosaic law as a practice that's to continue in Israel. But, but we typically view it as this sort of burdensome thing that you're to do with this sort of rote obedience, and you just dutifully give because that's what God requires you to do. And what I want you to understand is that that is not the heart of tithing in the Old Testament. The, the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 1, verse 6, actually talks about how giving is an external indicator of an internal posture of the heart. So God's people, as they bring a tenth to offer, and by the way, we don't even, we're not even going to go into this this morning, but the tenth offering was only a portion of the whole amount that, that Israel gave on a regular basis. Uh, when you study all the different types of giving beyond the general tithe, they were actually giving more around 30 to 35 percent of their, of their offering. And that fourth point is very important because it is indicated in other places in the Old Testament. People kind of tend to say, well, okay, people gave that and, and, and God was satisfied. No, there are times throughout 
the history of Israel, when they continued to give their tithes and offerings, but their hearts were far from God, and God said, your tithes and offerings make me sick to my stomach. They mean nothing. Because their hearts weren't. So God's emphasis has always been on the condition of the heart, even in the Old Covenant, even yes. in the Old Testament. He says that over and over and over. Yeah, you keep doing this, but your hearts have gone after other gods, and you make me sick. And so the emphasis in yeah. the old as well as the new is the heart issue in this whole thing of stewardship and of giving. Absolutely. And that's critical for you to understand because we're going to move into the New Testament now. And what we're going to find out is that that, that only increases in importance, that uh, you never find the word in the New Testament tithe. You won't ever see that. And Other so, than Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, to the, say you tithe, dip, yes. blah, blah, blah. You never see it as a practice being instituted in the church. What you see instead is what we have kind of come to call grace giving or, or uh, gratitude giving. And it is this idea that, that you give according to um, what your heart desires to give out of gratitude for what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And so uh, Romans 12, 8 Paul talks about giving with liberality, giving generously. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7, Paul says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not by duty, in other words, for God loves a cheerful giver. And, and that word cheerful in the Greek, it's the word from which we get our word hilarious. It's actually the same exact word in Greek. We just ripped it out of Greek and stole, stole it. Greek and made it an English word. It's literally hilarious. And, it, and so it's the idea that, that as you give, it's not to be out under compulsion. It's not out, of, out of, of shame or anything like that at all. It is as you reflect upon the goodness of God in your life and what he has done for you, specifically through the local church that you're a part of, that you give in response to those things. Uh, and and it's, the, the, the New Testament is ripe with this. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing. It's called a sacrifice there. Romans 12, 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I mean, we could go on and on and on. The early part of Acts, it says that they gave everything they had and that no one was lacking in anything. Everyone had everything they needed. I mean, imagine so, that. So everybody just give your stuff to so us give, and we'll give back to you what you need. Absolutely. That's not what we're saying. <laughs> that is not what we're saying. It was uh, the establishment of the church. There was a reason why that practice happened because many of them had come for the Passover. They were away from their homes. They were away from their jobs, but they stayed in Jerusalem when they, the Holy Spirit came. And so there was a period of time there where the church had to do those kinds of things. That is not commanded in Scripture anywhere. He's giving us an explanation of what happened in Acts chapter 2 yep. with the birth of the church. And again, you see the heart being reflected of the church. There are other parts of the world right now, we've referenced this recently, where, where the faith is under intense scrutiny and persecution. It would not be uncommon for early believers and even other believers in other parts of the world to lose their homes, to lose their livelihood because of their faith. Now, if that were the case, then you would see the church giving a lot more in line with the needs of the body. If we face that kind of persecution in America today for being Christians, you might see people say, you know what, I'm going to hand over title and deed to my home, and anyone that wants to come and live here has a place here, because many people might be uh, taken from their homes or their homes taken from them. But leave your dog somewhere else. But leave your dog somewhere else, yeah. My dog will bite you. So if you have us come into your Trying house. to lighten up this heavy yeah. subject. These are jokes. Yeah. We're doing a really lousy job. We are. It's okay. We'll keep moving. 
we'll get to the we'll get to the the practical stuff here. Let me give you four takeaways, and then we'll have a lot more time this service actually to which is good to unpack the end. Yeah, of yeah, because I think that's that's where it really hits the rubber hits the road. Four reasons biblically to give. I'm just going to give them quickly to you. If you want more of an in-depth study on this, then then talk to me, email me. I can point you to to uh, many different directions to uh, look into the scripture. This is a very bird's eye view. I recognize that. Four reasons. Number one. It reminds me that I am not the owner of anything I have. So when I give, I'm reminded that this isn't mine anyways, that God has given this, that God has provided this for me. Number two, it allows me to participate in the work of the ministry. So again, City on a Hill becomes not just a place I come to, but a place that I am involved with, that I participate with in the work of the ministry. I can take ownership, in other words. I can have a pride of ownership over the ministries here because I am one person that participates to make those things actually happen. Uh, Number three, it reorients my heart away from selfish desires. So if I feel very selfishly like, oh, I want to have this one thing, so maybe this week I'm, I'm not going to give, giving reorients my heart to the things that matter the most, that have the most long-lasting and eternal impact. And four, uh, it, it is important because it is obedience. And at the end of the day, we have to decide, we ask this question a lot, you know, we sing in our songs and we pray that Jesus is our Lord We pray to the Lord of heaven and earth. And yet when we get to this topic of giving, where we are so clearly commanded and expected to give, and when we sort of decide on our own, yeah, I know that's important, but I don't think I'm really going to do that right now. The question has to be asked, is Jesus really Lord of your finances? Is he really Lord of that portion of your life? I remember the story I heard, Pastor. This obviously didn't happen, but he said, you know, He's talking about baptizing, you know, he baptized people in the church. And he said, you know that, Pastor, you know that old boy over there, when I baptized him, I must have gotten everything but his pocketbook. <laughs> That's bad. Now, you figure that one out. Yeah. He gives everything but… <laughs> I think that was an Adrian Rogers joke. Probably an Adrian. Yeah, that yeah, sounds sound like, like Adrian. Adrian. So is that, is that clear for you? Is, there, is, there, is that a little clearer from a biblical perspective? I, I don't think, I, I mean, in my experience with talking with church members, I don't think there are too many people who, who, who doubt the biblical grounds for giving. I rarely come across someone, I don't think I ever have come across someone that was like, yeah, I don't give because I just don't believe the Bible teaches that. <laughs> I mean, that's just, I think we're mostly convinced. It's pretty clear. It's not a very debatable topic. Um, that this is a prescription in the Scriptures. The question is, do we obey it? Do we take it seriously? Is it something that we really buy into? That's why we give. Now, I want to move to the stewardship question, because if we are going to give, we have to steward well. And as I mentioned a moment ago, if we are going to ask you to steward well, we better be stewarding well. And and so I want to set up for you the uh, atmosphere that we exist in right now, which is giving is down across America as a result of COVID-19. You've heard James talk about this some. You've heard me talk about it some. We are um, under giving right now our, our weekly and overall yearly budget by over $100,000 right now. Um, we began seeing the decline take place, not right when COVID started. In fact, right when COVID started, we were feeling very blessed and very fortunate because not every church experienced what we experienced. No, a lot of the churches, though, pastors I've talked to around the country say that in the early days, it was still stayed fairly. Okay. fairly. Yeah. Some had a real precipitous drop, but most of the churches I've talked to, pastors, it was pretty steady 
uh, and, and the bottom fell out about three or four months ago. Which is pretty, pretty accurate for us as well. About three months ago, probably two to three months ago is yeah. when it really hit hard. I want to give you our yearly operating budget. So if you're a numbers person, you like to work these things out, I'm going to give you some numbers. Um, our yearly budget for this year, 2020, that we are currently involved with, this was a budget that the elders agreed upon that submitted to you at the end of 2019. And the church affirmed. And that the church affirmed at the end of 2019. Every year, if you're a member, we ask you to affirm the upcoming budget and the next two elders that will rotate onto the active ruling elder board. The year of 2020, our yearly budget was $1,123,908. Now that is not just paying pastors. In fact, it is a not a... Oh man, you guys are doing yeah, good. We're not. That is everything. That's what it takes to turn the lights on. That is everything. All of our missions, all of our ministries to children and adults and youth. That is our total ministry budget for the entire year. Yes, VBS, kids camps, children's camps, coffee, all the food that we don't do right now. Thanks, COVID. Um, we will be bringing coffee back soon, we'll I think. Save a couple of bucks when we start, stop serving donuts. Yes, yeah. yes, absolutely. Uh, we saved around $15,000 this year just by not turning the air on when we weren't meeting. Our budget for 2020, just to turn the buildings on for our gatherings during the week and here, is close to $40,000. Yeah. That's just to turn the air conditioners, the lights, in these buildings on. So you can imagine, obviously when the buildings were not being used and we were turning everything off and there, nothing was coming on other than there, we were able to save between ten dollars and $15,000 during that period of time just that. by trying to you know, be a good steward. So that's, that was good. But now we're meeting again and all three buildings are being used, so we're going back up to what it costs to run the facilities. So because we have weekly services, we have weekly offering, what we do is we divide that budget into 52 increments to get a weekly needs in order to meet the budget. That comes out to, for 2020, $21,613.62. Um, so that's what we have to, to bring in through tithes and offerings to meet the agreed upon budget. I can tell you right now um, that prior to COVID, we were on a pretty good track. Uh, as James said about two to three months ago, we really felt a, a drop. Uh, last week, I think, was the and lowest. That's interesting. I've heard that from pastors around the country. Around the country, yeah. That it's been the last two or three, maybe four months that it really got Hit bad. hard. And, and uh, last week, I think, was probably our lowest that we hit. We, we did not even make half of what we needed to bring in to support the budget. Um, we are, as I mentioned, over $100,000 under what our needs are to meet the budget. Now, all that to say, our staff has underspent the budget by that same amount. So we are in the black right now because we've cut a lot of things out. It's been easy over the last six months because we weren't meeting. So there were not a lot of things that we even could have spent because there was no one coming. We're faced with this task next year in 2021 of the expectations of our people to begin doing things a little more normally, which we want to do, but we can't do if our giving doesn't reflect that. So here's what we've done. For 2021, we have worked meticulously on this budget. The elders have approved it. Uh, actually, this past Monday night in our elders meeting, we will ask you to affirm it uh, here in the next month or so with the uh, elder affirmations as well. Our yearly operating budget for 2021 will be 
$3,081. That's a $120,827 decrease from this year's budget that we have cut out. That brings the weekly needs down to $19,290.02, which is a $2,300 decrease a week. And at the rate we're doing now, we would not even meet that. No. So this is still a faith budget on our part. It is. But it also reflects reality that all churches around the country are adjusting because of the COVID and coming back into full, full steam, uh, and that, that's, that, that is not going to happen in most places. Uh, so it's a rebuilding process for most churches. But even at that, I mean, $19,000 a week, that's, that's, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Um, now, for the size of church we are, I can tell you right now, we have a tiny budget. Yeah, we've always tried to understaff and under, under uh, you know, have the budget so we weren't feeling this financial pressure. So as much as that sounds like a church our size, that is very small budget it's very compared little. to a lot of churches our size. And, uh, but I think a lot of churches are not very good stewards either. And so uh, we have tried to be good stewards with it. But that's still, that's a sizable chunk of change. And, and I said this first service, I think this is just, it's an important side note to make because it is something I think that, that maybe many of you have, have thought about with regard to COVID and, and how we have, uh, how we chose to live stream for a specific set of time. And, and we did not come back right away when other churches were coming back. We did that because we were trying to find that balance of wisdom between not not preventing people from gathering, but also protecting people from a threat that, especially at the time, we felt like was pretty critical. And, and, and we received a little bit of criticism from, from some of you, and I understand that. You're frustrated. You want to get back to church. And, and, and it almost seemed like, you know, were you guys even thinking through this ramification is the, kind of the, 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 the questions that I was receiving. And what you need to understand is that uh, this is not reflective of what you're paying the pastoral staff, but the pastoral salaries come out of this. It is a percentage of this. And so we recognize with every decision that we make, with every hard stand we take, with everything that we stay from the stage and that we put out there that could cause offense and could cause people to leave, we run the risk of running someone who gives off and diminishing that weekly number, which overall affects our ability to provide for our own families. And this is a pressure that pastors face everywhere uh, because people do hold us hostage with their giving, yeah. quite frankly. Some of you, you view your giving as a means by which you can control us and manipulate us and threaten us with, with uh, you know, not giving or going away. And that's a reality for pastors, and some pastors cave into it. We've chosen not to. I've always chosen not to. James and I don't even know what you give. I don't even know what people give. I don't want to know. I have no access to your giving records. I don't want to know that because I don't want to, to infect my attitude toward you. So I don't do that. But I will tell you, uh, and I've said this many times, for 37 years I've said that here, nobody's giving records are open for public inspection but mine. I've always said that, and I say it again. If you want to know, James, are you doing what you're asking us to do? You have my permission to ask to see my giving records. I have no, nothing to hide. Me as well. I will show my Internal Revenue Service tax thing. I'll, I'll follow Even as well. though Trump won't. Even though that, uh, that president just, just of ours won't. Just kidding. Won. Please. No, that's <laughs> Christians. Uh, uh, nobody else's. I, I can't even sign checks. I, don't I, can't, I can't sign checks I stay either. as far away from the money. My salary, all of our salaries is set by the elders. We, yep. do, not have, we do not have input to that. Uh, in 37 years, I, I don't have any control over that and don't want to have. Uh, just like you, your boss sets your salary. You either stay there or you don't. My bosses set my salary just like him. And quite frankly, it's always been a matter of 
contention for me because I hate being dependent upon the church for the support of my family. I always have. Biblically, it's fine. Uh, biblically, it teaches that. But personally, whether it's pride or whatever it is, I've always had a struggle with that. And at the age of 66, I've finally kind of given in and just said, oh, well, Lord, I guess you're not going to do it any other way. And so that's the way it's going to happen. Um, but it is, a part of, it is a part of our budget. But we, in fact, we're going to show in the uh, room here, what we call in that new room. The City Life Center. The City Life Center. It used to be the... Home Point Center. The Home Point <laughs> I just work here. I don't know what's going on. That used, the City Life Center, one of the things we're doing, and, and Chris Cunnington, who is moving into uh, mission uh, coordination for our church, we're going to put in there all of the mission activities that we are involved in as a church. And there's so many things we're doing as a church at that outside of our community, most of you don't even know, yep. and all over the world. And supporting missionaries, we also support our denominations missionary program, uh, Compassion International. Uh, the Pays Kenya movement. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on, and you need to know that. And, and we've been not been very good about communicating all of those kinds of things. Chris is, is moving us into more community missions, although we've been involved in that a great deal. So this is not all just about the pastors wanting to make sure that their, that their, their pay is taken care of. That's not what this is about. It's what it's, it never has been about that. It is about the overall ministry of the church. Yep. So we, re, we realize that in 2021, there is going to be an adjustment. Uh, churches are seeing it all over. I, I think I mentioned this in the first, I did. Uh, about four weeks ago, I was invited to go to Idaho. Uh, a church, the second largest church in the entire state of Idaho, asked me to come out there and help them revamp their entire Help, Hope, and Healing ministry. They had a very small part of it. It's a mega church, thousands of people. And uh, they had asked me to help them revamp that to become more like the model that we do here where it's not just pockets of safety within the church, but it's a safe church. And they embraced that wholeheartedly. But they were telling me that before COVID, they were running six services on Sunday. This is a mega church. This is the second largest church in the state of Idaho. After COVID, when they began to meet, they cut that in half to three services and have struggled to get five, four to 500 people among those three services. So they went from being a mega church of thousands. thousands to about four or 500 people. And there's a reason why that is happening. And it is happening in churches all over the nation. It is happening here. Yep. George Barna, we've talked about Barna's Research Institute a great deal that, that really keeps his pulse on the church in America has indicated to us the trends of what's happening. And that is that during that period of time when we were not meeting, there were people who, uh, out of sight, out of mind. When they're not coming on Sunday, they don't give. If they're coming on Sunday, they give. Yep. And so that's a part of it. That's out of sight, out of mind, they don't give. Now, the, the base of our faithful people, they continue and, and understand that. But the, there's a big majority of people that when they don't go to church, they don't give. They're not going to. And there are also a group of, of people, which is a large church, large group of people, percentage-wise, in the church that have just simply said, you know, when the church opens up, I'm not coming back. And we're seeing that here. There are people, there's a pruning that is going on in the church of America. There are those that were considered themselves active churchgoers, and they've just gotten distracted and found other things to do, and the church opens up, I'm just not going back. Now, there is also those people that we highly respect and encourage who see that they are very vulnerable to this virus because of age, because of underlying 
issues and, and are, are hesitant to come back into the large meeting. And we understand that and we respect that, yeah. okay? And those are people who will come whenever they feel that they are able to do it without putting themselves at risk. So we totally support that. But there's another thing going on in the church in America that there are people who considered themselves to be active churchgoers who've just said, I'm not going back. I've gone on with my life and I got other things to do. And basically what they're saying was, this really never was very important in their lives anyway. And as they don't come back, then they don't give to support. And that is what is being reflected all over America, not just in City on a Hill, all over America. I talked to a pastor this last week of a church in Houston, has three campuses, 65 employees, 25 of those employees have been gone and they're not going to replace them because they can't afford to. And because in their three campuses, attendance has, has dropped, giving has dropped, the bottom has fallen out. And so now they are figuring out, like we are, how to budget for 2021 yep. in a way that has reality attached to it, but also is a faith budget that is going to challenge God's people to, 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 to be faithful. So, folks, this is not a downer about City on a Hill. This is the church in America. This yeah. is what is happening in the church all over America. And there are a lot of churches that will never tell you the truth about that because they don't want to look like, man, we're not successful, okay? Right. We're going to bring it to you and be honest with the truth as we always have been so that you understand what's actually going on. And let me just say too that, that I mean, if you look around the room right now, there's, there's about a hundred of us in here. Um, this is not because of any sort of restrictions. This yeah, is there just, are no restrictions now. We, we took restrictions away in terms of, of registrations. You just show up. And the county has taken all restrictions of church attendance away. It's considered an essential uh, business, I guess, if you will. So this is where we are. This is, this is who has decided to come to church today. This is people's decisions themselves. And in the first service, we had about this many people. This is less than half, of what way less than half in these two services than what we were having before COVID eight months ago. So... Obviously, as attendance is impacted, uh, and there will be some who just won't, not only won't come back here, they won't go to church anywhere. And, and as a matter of fact, we had like 23 or 24 people that were engaging online I just, in the first service. I just checked. Yeah, we have 18 on Facebook. We have 25 on YouTube. So. Okay. And uh, so one of the things that Barna has been telling us from the beginning was not only are these people, when we close down, a great majority of people who were attached to that church never even engaged the online service. So when the, when the physical ability to attend church came, they just quit. They just stopped. And, and we were continuing to do our Bible studies online. We were continuing to you know, project the service online. But there's a vast majority of people that just did nothing. And that is still continuing to happen. And let me say, I, I didn't say this probably like this first service, but we did talk about this. I think this is important too. The, the level of connection and... Um, ministry that you have experienced in a church, I believe directly is correlated to how someone gives. And, and here's what I mean by that. I have people come to me somewhat regularly to ask me, how do I start giving? How do I use the church center app? How do I give a, an automatic draft out of my bank account? Because there's a couple of ways you can do it. It doesn't always have to be in person. And, and I, I have never had someone say, you know, I've been coming here for about four or five weeks now, and the carpet choices in this building are amazing, and I want to give to this church now. You know, I've been coming here for a few weeks, and I noticed your bathrooms are updated, and my gosh, the last church we went to had horrible bathrooms. How do we give to this ministry? <laughs> I never hear that. What I hear is, this ministry has nearly saved my life, and I'd like to give back. 
this Bible study has brought incredible spiritual growth or this messages or this worship or whatever. It is always the impact of the ministry on the heart of the individual that motivates that person that comes to me and says, I want to return what I have received here. And that's a condition of the heart. It is. And let me give you an interesting statistic. I'm the only one that has the longevity here to be able to give you this statistic. I've been here 37 years since the church started, so I've kind of, I, I, I know all the details. From 1992, we started in 84, but when we moved into this facility is when we transitioned into the hospital church model that we have been operating under all of these, what, 27 years, and that now I have opportunity to travel around the country and train in and help churches do that. So. From 92, when we really started helping people heal from the helps, from the hurts of life, emotional hurts, this church, without me preaching about giving, because I never do that, overgave the budget every single year for 18 years. From 1992 till 2010, okay? Overgave the budget without me ever talking about giving. And the reason for that is because hearts were being changed, families were being saved, emotional wounds were being healed, and people were giving because they said, this matters, this is making a difference. And they gave voluntarily, which is what God's Word says we should do. It's out of, now, starting in 2010, I got a brain tumor and went on steroids and cussed <laughs> from the pulpit a few times and ran some people off. Honestly, I don't think I ever cussed. But, I don't, no, you didn't. But I was taking massive doses of medical steroids for this tumor thing as before they diagnosed that it was actually a tumor. Anyway, I, I started acting crazy and ran a bunch of people off. And uh, uh, what else happened? Um, and then, uh, I don't know, you know, all kinds of things. Then COVID happened, whatever. And so from this last 10 years, uh, from 2010 to 2020, the church actually only gave the budget, I think twice. Yep. But we underspent the budget every year. On the staff. In fact, those 18 years that the church overgave the budget every year, we always underspent it because we, we didn't think, well, we got all this money, let's just waste it. Yep. No. Nope. And that's one of the ways that we're able to be completely debt free. We owe nothing on the property, 15 acres, and these three buildings, we are debt free. It's because of that kind of stewardship. So we've entered into a period of time now. We have entered into a period of time now where other factors are coming in, and it's just a reality. If you just don't have as many people, yep. then it's, the giving is not going to meet the budget, and it hasn't. And at this point, it's 120,000 under. At this rate, we'll be about 150 or 60,000 under by the time we end the year. Okay, and we will cut back spending. Yep. Uh, we have um, never, James said, face that. James said this first service, I think it's important for you to hear this. In the history of the church, we have never overspent the budget. Never one time. Not one time. Even in the years the church was greatly over, we had years where the church would overgive the budget by $100,000. Even in those periods of time, we underspent the budget because I believe it is part of our responsibility as stewards with the elders over this is that just because the money's there doesn't mean we need to spend it. But we've applied it to debt. We've applied it to ministry. So we're free from all of that kind of stuff. Now, here, here's, here's the last part. I want to, I this James is going to explain some of the structure here, but one of the questions that I know comes up because I've had conversations with some of you is how is it that you can talk about being $100,000 under given on this budget and yet still remodel the bathrooms or buy a ranch? That's sorry, that's mask. yours. Yeah, that's that's right my here. Let me, let me, nasty COVID hands Sorry, my mask. COVID hands are keep to myself. Uh, how, how is that? How does that happen? How can you remodel the whole worship center 
or buy a ranch or do the bathrooms or do this or do that and, and then come in here and say, folks, we're not given the budget. We need to get with it. Let me tell you how and why in the last five minutes that we've got, and you may have to give me a couple of minutes over. We have a commitment and a conviction biblically and practically, because the Bible is always practical, that all of the function of the ministry this church does must be supported and funded by the tithes and offerings of God's people, okay? As the people give, we will do ministry. That is our only resource for accomplishing the work of the kingdom here is the budget and tithes and offerings. Then what we have over here is we have a 30,000 square foot children's building that um, we have All-Stars Early Learning Center that leases from us. Many of you think we own the, uh, the All-Stars. We do not. By law, we cannot. It is a separate nonprofit corporation. It has its own board, all of those things. The only way we can receive money from them legally is by leasing the building to them. Okay? So those of you that thought we owned that children's thing over there, we don't own it. We own the building. So therefore, we can lease it to them. And we can lease it only for market value. We can, if we charge them more than market value and we get caught, we get our hands slapped and all kinds of bad things. So periodically, they'll, they'll check on that. So we uh, have had, we had that, uh, a, it was a daycare really more before we built that building. Uh, there were early years of that where they weren't even making enough money to stay in business and we felt like it was a ministry. So the church actually supplemented it for years. Yeah. Even though we didn't own the thing, we felt like it was a viable ministry. But when we built that building and we changed leadership over that, it has become a, a very viable money-making thing. They have a bank account and they have a slush fund in their account and they pay us monthly a lease on that building. Now, what we have said that we will do is we will never become dependent on that income to fund the budget or to fund the ministry because that could go away at any time. Legally, they could go to another building after the lease is up or licensing can come in and find license violations enough to shut them down. And so if we were depending upon that money to fund the ministry, then if that went away, we would be in deep trouble. Do you understand that? Here's, here's what it's like. It's like if you have a salary, you should structure your life according to that salary. To not live on more of that, that's where you get debt. But, to, but all of your life is on that. But say behind your house, you have a little apartment area that can be turned into an apartment that you can lease out, okay? And so you get rent money coming from that. Would it be wise for you then to raise your lifestyle where you are depending on that rent money? Would that be wise for you to do that? No, you'd be a fool because that thing might burn down or you might, we might go into a recession and the rent price go down or maybe not couldn't find a renter. But what you can see that as is a blessing that you can save that money and you still live on your, your, your lifestyle, on your salary, but you save for that money. And then when you get enough, maybe you add an extra room onto your house, okay? Which you increase the value of your real estate, but you didn't have any debt to do it. Maybe you take the family on a great vacation or whatever, but you guard your lifestyle that is only based upon what you actually earn. And then what does this become? It becomes a blessing, doesn't it? But the quickest way to make that extra income become a curse is if you begin to raise your lifestyle based upon that, and then that goes away, it has become a curse now, right? Instead, you take that rent money, 
and you remodel a bathroom or buy a ranch. And you're actually investing in your, or buy a ranch. Okay. So people, so people, (laughs) thank you, sir. You smart aleck. So people ask how in the world last year, before COVID, by the way, in September of 1999, how is it that we were able to buy ranch, 106 acres? Because for years and years and years, we saved every single dime and it's a sizable amount of monthly lease. And we're still charging less than market value and they can pay more because of of the income of the deal. But we have settled on that and we have saved every dime for years and years and years. We saved every dime of it. It became a sizable amount of money that was over a million dollars. Okay. We were still funding ministry off tithes and offerings because we said we're never going to depend upon that. Well, the opportunity came doctor died, left us some money. We got to praying about this. We bought Refuge Ranch and we paid cash for it. Yep. We do not have debt. But that was not out of your tithes and offerings was with the ranch was built. It was bought. It was out of that money, which became a blessing to us at that point. How many churches our size can say that they have 106 acres with several thousand square feet of buildings on it that is a beautiful place for our kids to go, for our families to go, for our Bible study program, for other churches to enjoy. How many can say that? Very, I don't doubt there'd be a handful of us in the entire nation the size of our church. But you see, that's how we accomplished it. So we cannot equate the two. We will not, we will not fund the ministry based upon that lease money because then if we do, and that goes away, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We will always do ministry based upon how we, as God's people, give. That then gets to be a blessing. We remodeled this entire auditorium after 28 years in this place and needed it horribly, not out of tithes and offerings, which most churches would have to do. They'd have yep. to get a building fund to do that. We didn't have to nope. because we had that resource, and so we did it. And we had John Lipitsky who is a master of all things, to come in here and do the work. I mean, every time you see John Lipitsky... Give him a hug. He's our guy that runs all of our buildings. John could make so much more money out there in the marketplace. He can do everything, but he wants to be here. He wants to be on the staff. And having John on the staff has saved us tens of thousands of dollars every single year because we don't have to hire somebody to do it. We're already paying him, and he just does the work. He's awesome. I mean, that's just a blessing of God. And, and, and we, we honor John and we believe that God has given him as a gift and we don't take advantage of him in any way. We want him to be taken care of and his family to be taken care of. What I'm trying to explain to you here, folks, is a very simple fact. Don't equate the fact that we bought Refuge Ranch and go, well, golly, they're talking about lack of money now because that money will never be used to fund the ministry. Ever. The only way I will use it or, or encourage the elders to use it if we get into a place in 2021 where we're going to have to lay off some of our staff. I won't do that. We would use it for that, yep. for a temporary period of time. Because we have a great staff. We have wonderful staff. Many of them have been with us for years. If we lost them now because we said we can't pay you, then when things got back, we'd have to replace that. We'd have to retrain them and re-equip them. That is a must that we have to keep our staff. Okay? So that's the only way I would use that. If we get into a place where it's either lay staff off or pull from that fund, I would be willing to pull from that fund. And by the way, we still have several hundred thousand dollars in that fund, even after buying Refuge Ranch, even after doing all of that stuff. But we will not fund the ministry on that. And let me, let me say as a side note to some of you, we, we have been amazed at, when we bought Refuge Ranch, we had a lot of ideas of, of how it would work out. And then COVID happened. 
And then children's camps and youth camps got canceled. And, and we began doing our camps and our retreats at Refuge Ranch. Because they were planning to go to Colorado for all of our youth camps. We said, well, then we, we, we got the ranch. We just do that. Do the ranch. And we have seen now how effective and how beneficial it is to have a place to take some of these young people in our church out of the chaos of this current COVID environment. Catch their first fish in the lake. Catch their first fish, get them outdoors, and have fun and connect. And as our Bible studies begin to meet, we're encouraging our Bible study classes once or twice a year. Take your Bible study class and spend the weekend at Refuge Ranch and get to know one another outside of the Bible study classroom. Our life groups, COVID kind of cut all that out. But in the future, as people are more comfortable with that kind of thing, that's going to happen. I'm hoping... We've already seen an incredible amount of that happen this year because of COVID, that we had that resource. Yeah. We were able to do some things that most churches just can't do. I'm hoping in the later fall, winter time, it, it may be after the first of the year, we have to look at the calendar, but uh, I, I did a six-week portion of my New Testament class on Wednesday night through the book of Revelation. And I know that's a, uh, a, an interesting topic for many of you. And, and so we have, I've decided I'm going to do a, a Revelation retreat. Um, it'll be a, a Friday, Saturday uh, where we'll do sessions of study, and I will condense those six weeks down into about four or five sessions. It'll include food. Uh, there'll be, of course, a, a minimal cost just to provide for all the materials. But those are the kinds of things we have in mind for this center. And in light of COVID-19 right now, it has been, um, it's been a major blessing. We had churches who wanted to come, and, and, and outside churches, we will charge them a pretty good chunk to use it because you, our money paid for it, so we're going to ask them. But we had several churches that were going to take their kids there for camp, and the COVID happened, and then they didn't do it. So we know that in the future, that's going to be more and more and more, not just for our church, but it's going to be, we want it to be self-funding. Yeah. My goal, I don't want it to make money. I just want it to pay for itself. Yep. And the repairs and the utilities and things that, that come with it, we've gotten it off the tax rolls, so we don't pay pr- property taxes uh, on it. It's just an incredible blessing. It's a resource. But don't confuse that with giving. Yeah. Don't confuse that with how we do the ministry, because if we became dependent on that and licensing shut us down, we would be in trouble. We never will. We will cut back ministry based upon how God's people are faithful or unfaithful in being a good steward. And I, I've said this again. I'm going to say it again. You are more. You have my permission to ask to see my giving records. If you want to see them, you can see them. I have nothing to hide. I have been. A faithful steward, as, as best I understand. And I, because I, I have a real um, sensitive guilt meter in me. And if I spoke to you about stewardship and I wasn't doing it, I, I couldn't live with myself. And I couldn't get up here and preach on Sunday morning. So you are welcome. You can ask Cherie. Uh, I don't know what you give. And I don't want to know what you give. I'm the only one. No. whose giving records are open. And yeah. Derek doesn't need to say he's willing. That's him, for him to say that but if you he can. wants to. But I've said that for 37 years. Yeah. And, and, and so if I will not, my feelings will not be hurt if you ask to see what are James and Laura Reeves giving to the support the ministry of this church. And we also support Children with Compassion International over above what we give to the church. So you're more than welcome to see that at any time that you want to. That's not braggadocia. That is simply saying, I would expect it of a leader. We're transparent. I expect of a leader, if a leader's going to tell me I need to do something and preach this stuff, he better be doing it himself. Absolutely. And to the best of my ability, I am, and I believe Derek is, although I don't know. I don't know Derek's records. I don't look at the records. I don't want to know. I can't sign checks. I don't want anything to do with it. Stay away from the money as far as I can get. So here's the challenge. Hopefully this has been helpful and informational for you. 
The challenge is, is that if you don't give currently, I would ask you to go before the Lord, and if you feel out of gratitude that you want to participate here uh, in this body of believers, then set up giving on a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis and begin. Begin doing that. God blesses this. I'm not going to tell you you're going to get a new house and a new car. It's not what the Bible says, but, but God does bless giving because it's commanded. This one is mine. This one, oh, you're going to wipe your nose on it? Unbelievable. There's real boogers on that. I'm just kidding. Well, you touched mine. I did. You're right. That's the challenge to you. And, and let me say to you who have given, I sent an, I sent an email out this past week. I, I do have a way of populating a list. I didn't look at the list. I actually can't even see who all it went to. Um, but thank you. I want to say it in person as I did in the email. Thank you for giving to this body of believers. It is greatly appreciated. Uh, we are very thankful for those of you who have contributed. This is about as honest as we can be. We don't feel like we need to hide anything from you. I know a lot of churches would not have this kind of conversation because they don't want to appear as being a downer or being unsuccessful. There's a lot of that success mind in churches these days that want to give an appearance of everything is running great, even though when the bottom's falling out. We're not going to do that with you. We believe you have a right as a participating member of this body of believers to know exactly what's going on. Yep. And uh, uh, not only are we right, then we all have a responsibility to, before God, make our decisions, and, and that's what will happen. And whatever decision God's people make, we will adjust the ministry to fit that. Yep. We will not spend more than you give for ministry. So if, if it's not there, we will cut back on ministries. Uh, and... If it's there, then we will do the ministries, but we will do them as, as good a stewards as we possibly can uh, to honor your sacrifice and honor your, your faithfulness. I mean, I don't know how to say it any other way than that. That has been our track record, and it will continue to be so. Yes. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time um, to talk about topics that, as James said, are, are, are rather taboo and, and tough and, and not spoken of in, in a lot of environments. And, and so we thank you that that uh, we feel here, Lord, before you, the, the grace and the vulnerability to, to be able to speak very frankly about the, the condition of things, whether they're good or bad. Uh, we do that, Lord, ultimately because we trust that you are sovereignly reigning over us, and, uh, and we trust you. Uh, we trust that you have a plan and a purpose for your church to, um, to succeed, to minister, to uh, bring, to, to carry the kingdom into these cities. And, uh, and so that is our task, Lord. We understand that. We're grateful for the responsibility you give us. I thank you for each person here. I thank you for their willingness to come and gather with God's people. And I pray that your spirit would uh, begin to work in the, uh, the, the hearts of every one of us to, to encourage, to convict, to edify, whatever it may be, Lord, that he would do his work and that it would be appropriately felt, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Thank Praise you, guys. Lord. God bless you.